Well, hey, everybody, thank you so much for tuning in to Cultivate Church Online. I'm so honored you're here with us today. If you're our guest, welcome. Welcome to Cultivate Church Online. I do want to invite you to be a part of a a live experience. Every week we meet at 9 and 1015 at our Alabaster and Columbiana campuses. It's an incredible opportunity for us just to gather together in our communities and just lift up the name of Jesus together, encourage one another. There's nothing like meeting together. But I'm glad you're here with us today, tuning in. We're in a series we've called This is Cultivate. We have the last 10 years, uh, at around this time every year, we kind of push pause on a lot of things that we otherwise would be teaching because we think it's a valuable moment, a valuable time just to recenter and refocus our church on our call. We are the church, we are the hope for the world. We talk about this all of the time at Cultivate. It's not about a street corner or a logo. Uh, we are a part of the greater local churches around the world. We are a part of the church, the Big C Church. And, but we do know that our part is specific. God has given us a specific call. He brought us to Shelby County, Alabama, not to do what other churches, uh, not to, not to um, overdo or overstep what all the other churches are doing in our communities, but he, can't, he brought us here to be a piece of the puzzle. We are a part of what God is doing in Shelby County, and we believe, we believe with all of our hearts that our part is important. That if we weren't here, and if we're not doing what we're called to do in our portion of what God's called our church to be, if we're not doing that, there's going to be lack in our communities. There's going to be lack in Shelby County. We take it very seriously, the call of God on our lives. And so all month long, we've been talking about that. We've got a theme verse we've been reading. Started last week. It's in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. And Jesus said, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. I'm going to build my church And the gates of hell, all the powers of hell, will not conquer it. One translation says it this way, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. You know, if you think about that passage of scripture, it doesn't really make a lot of sense, does it? What do you mean the gates of hell doesn't, will not prevail? You know, oftentimes we've, growing up in my own faith journey, I've always been taught that the enemy just, he's on attack. He's an attacker. That he's all the time on the attack, on the offensive. But I'm reminded, you know, Jesus says that, that the gospel takes, takes the world by, by force. That the gospel is, is ever advancing and it's an advancing by force. And, and he reminds us that, that the enemy, honestly, he's not on the offensive. He's on the defensive. The enemy was cast out of heaven thousands and thousands of years ago. He's never really been on the offensive. He's been on the defensive all of this time. And I love this passage of scripture because Jesus said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. All the powers of hell can't conquer us. What does he mean? Well, it means this, that, that we, the church, the gospel is offensive, that the gates aren't strong enough. A gate doesn't attack anything. A gate keeps things out, right? A gate's not on the offensive. A gate is defensive. And Jesus so boldly declared in that passage of Scripture that that we're going to build the church and the gospel is going to advance against the gates of hell, the powers of hell, that there's nothing in the universe that can stand against the God 
of the universe. Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. And I believe this with all of my heart, that the local church is the hope of the world. And the, heart, the part that we get to play is making a massive difference in Shelby County and in other parts of the world that we get to be a part of, all because of his call on our lives. So Jesus is going to build his church. And the gates of hell, they're not strong enough to stop the attack that the enemy cannot prevail against us. That's good news for you and for me. Last week, week one, uh, Pastor Brandon brought a message and reminded us that we were built to last. And the truth is, he told us all that there are lots of other things we would love to be talking about as it related to the foundation of our church and all of the things, right, that the offensive uh, attack that we are bringing to the enemy into the world and, and the, the life change that can happen and all of the incredible things that God's called us to do. But the truth is, we're in a time, we're in a season where we need to be reminded about the Word of God. And last week, if you didn't tune in, I would encourage you to tune in. Right here online, you can tune in and click on last week's message and realize and learn that everything that we do here at Cultivate Church is founded, built, and we stand on the truth of the Word of God. The Bible talks about it in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, that all Scripture is God-breathed, and it is good for our correction. It inspires us to live a life on purpose. It, and it encourages us to go out and make a difference in the world. It corrects us a lot of times. It, it convicts us a lot of times. And the Bible reminds us there in 2 Timothy that it equips us for every good work. We believe with every fiber of our being that the Christian life, the local church, is founded and stands on the truth of God's Word completely. What does that mean? Well, it means if God's Word says it, we believe it. If, God, if God's Word brings correction, then we fall in line with that correction. If God's Word goes, uh, talks differently than my feelings or my emotions as a follower of Jesus, I submit myself to those feelings, and emotions. The power of God's Word. It's powerful and effective. The Bible says it reminds us it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And it is the base of why and how we live the Christian life. And today I want to talk to you uh, a little bit further about the just the culture of our church. I titled today's message, A Passion for People. A Passion for for people. We talk about this often at our church. The mission of our church is to cultivate a passion for God, a passion for people, and a passion for purpose. We believe that the foundation, everything that God has done all throughout history, think back, all the Bible stories that maybe you know, uh, all of the different things that have happened, recorded all throughout history. The Lord has functioned and operated and done all throughout history for one purpose. For people, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Why? So that people could be reconciled back to him. And we know that God is passionate about people. And here at our church, here at Cultivate Church, we are just really, really passionate about people. And I'm going to pray. We're going to dive into today's notes. I'm going to share with you three things 
Three things on the front end of this message that I believe we all can take to heart. Some, some whys. Why, does, why do we exist? Why is our church, why are we passionate about people? And then I'm going to share with you, I think, some uh, three things that I believe are just um, paramount to our, the culture of our church. So let's pray together. Father, we love you. We're grateful for your word, that it's alive and breathing and for us. That every word in it matters. It is all for me. Every promise, uh, every correction, all of the work, every miracle. Father, it's all done for people. And so, Father, we stand on your word today. And I pray as we open it today that you do what only you can do. Perform spiritual surgery in our hearts. God, we're grateful for the opportunity to open your word and to allow it to shape us and mold us and become who you've called us to be. You'll get all the credit for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So why do we exist? What are we doing here at Cultivate Church? Why are we so passionate about people? Number one, you need to know that people are hurting. That's true. It's a true statement. All over the world, many of you tuning in right now are probably walking through some form of hurt. Matthew 9, 36 records that when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because he recognized this. They were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. They were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Just to put it in context, Jesus was literally walking with his disciples and he sees out across a field thousands of people. And he, he's, he's instantly reminded through the Holy Spirit of God that these people are confused. They're helpless like sheep without a shepherd. One of the things we need to know about sheep who don't have a shepherd, all sheep need a shepherd. One of the reasons is because sheep aren't very smart. And without a shepherd leading them, sheep will scatter. Sheep will, will never actually on their own definitively go and move toward any direct purpose. So if there's not a shepherd leading the sheep, inevitably they will all scatter out and they'll end up falling off of cliffs, starving because they, they, they got lost in the wilderness so many times that's happened. And, and the Bible reminds us in this moment that people are hurting. I believe this because so many of us are confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. We're hurting. I know that some of us are hurting for really kind of three different reasons. One, it, some of us are hurting because of our own dumb decisions. You ever heard the cliche, it's a statement, everything happens for a reason? It's a true statement. Everything happens for a reason. Sometimes that reason is I'm dumb and I made a bad decision. Sometimes we get hurt because of decisions we make that were incorrect decisions. Slight miscalculations. Some of them major miscalculations. One of you ever made a bad decision in your life. I remember one time about eight years ago, I was riding down the road with my wife and she was driving. No, no, no. I was driving. She was in the passenger seat and I just, I was just kidding. I reached over and I grabbed her leg and I didn't realize the way she was sitting, her foot was like right there. Uh, and her, she had a shoe and what I would now call looking back more like a two by four and no more as quick as I could grab her leg I said what did that feel like and I was just joking she grabbed her shoe and it was like a reflex she hit me right in the mouth with that two by four of a shoe 
I'm telling you, folks, I went blind for two seconds. My eye was watering. My lips started bleeding. She almost knocked me out. I had to pull the car over. I said, well, what are you doing? And she said instantly, I don't know what happened. It was just a reflex. I don't know how I did that. I knew in that moment that was a bad decision. And it brought a lot of pain in that moment in my face. <laughs> Come on, maybe you've been in circumstances, situations, where you just made a bad decision. I could tell you hundreds of stories over my life where I've just made dumb decisions that brought hurt in my life. Many of us right now, your finances are hurting, not because of any other reason other than you can't stay off of Amazon. Your budget, there's more, there's more money, there's more month than money because you're spending all of your money. Intimacy in your marriage is hurting because you probably have a secret addiction to pornography. Your relationships and your, uh, uh, your friendships are hurting because you're making some bad decisions. You're probably being selfish and you're not really thinking or investing in those relationships. We've all made bad decisions and it brings hurt. And many times when we're hurt because of our bad decisions, sometimes it's hard to see the reality of the why behind it. And sometimes we need good people in our lives. We need godly people in our lives. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to remind us, you know what, the only reason you're hurting is because you made a bad decision. I've told that to my kids so many times, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that, it's gonna hurt. And sure enough, they do it anyways. It's the proverbial, don't touch the hot stove. Come on, anybody, somebody says don't, you always want to. They touch it and they learn a hard lesson. Some of us, some of us are hurting because of others' dumb decisions. Well, maybe you can relate to that where you are in your own walk of faith right now. Maybe it wasn't because you made a dumb decision, but maybe it was because somebody else made a miscalculation. Somebody else said something they shouldn't have said. Somebody else did something they shouldn't have done. The gossiper. Some of you have gone through in the past in your life physical abuse, sexual abuse. It wasn't something you did, not something you are responsible for, but it brings immense pain. People are hurting, confused, like sheep without a shepherd. Why did this happen to me? Come on, maybe that's you. Maybe that's you. Maybe, maybe number the third one, maybe you're hurting because of circumstances beyond your control. The company went out of business. Come on, COVID, the COVID happened and there were layoffs. My, my, my job was, was deleted because of restructuring in the company. Nothing necessarily wrong or that, that, that should have been done differently or could have been done differently, but it affected my life in a negative way. Maybe you're hurting because of just circumstances of life. It happens. The reality is, I know, one of the reasons we exist is because we know that people are hurting. They're hurting. Number two, uh, we exist because we know that God has a plan. He has a plan. I love this in Jeremiah 29, 11. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. I love that passage of Scripture. And the truth is, it's a passage of Scripture that wildly gets taken out of context. I believe it's true. I believe it's for you, and I believe it's for me. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a hope and a future. 
But if we're actually going to be able to grab that verse in context, if we're actually going to be able to take that scripture and apply it like I believe God meant it to be applied, we have to look at it within the context that he was saying it. You see, God was actually speaking through the prophet Jeremiah to exiles, to people that had gone too far, that had done too much. You see, the whole book of Jeremiah, the whole front half of Jeremiah is him begging the nation of Israel to turn from their wicked ways to make better decisions, to turn back to God. And they refused to do so. We can look back up. They're hurting because of decisions they made. And as a, at this moment, we see in Jeremiah 29, you can see that the God is speaking to Jeremiah to exiles, people who had lost everything because of the decisions that they had made in their life. They were hurting. But God did not leave them in their pain. He didn't leave them in their hurt. God had a plan. I love the reality in my own life that no matter what I'm doing, no matter what I've done, God's always got a plan. Though I may have detoured, though I may have taken a left where he said to take a right, God's got this miraculous way of always wor working my way back on the map to his perfect plan for my life. There is nothing that can ultimately separate me from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. So he speaks to these exiles and he says, don't worry. It's going to hurt for a little while. The decisions you made, there are consequences, your decisions. But I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. They're plans for prospering, not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. Maybe you're here today and you don't see hope for your tomorrow because you're hurting too bad. You can't see hope for hurt. You can't see light for darkness. For whatever reason you find yourself in that pain, for whatever reason you find yourself in that hurt, I want you to know today there's a God in heaven who's got a better plan. And when you don't understand his hand, when you don't quite understand what's going on around you, I promise you, you can trust his plan. It's a good plan. And then number three, another reason, is because we have a purpose. People are hurting. God has a plan. And we have a purpose. And we, I mean, cultivate church. We are the church. We exist for the world. God's given us a purpose. I love the purpose of the local church in Acts 2.42. It says that all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles, teaching and fellowship and to sharing of meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. We have a divine purpose on our life as a local church and our community. And here's those purposes. You want to write these down. These are, these are extra in your notes. Number one, we have a purpose to teach the Bible. We talked about that last week when we talked about being built to last. We have a purpose to teach the Bible, the Word of God, the gospel, the good news that God so loved the world. That, he, that life change happens through him. He sent his only perfect son, only begotten son, to live a sinless life. He died on a cross and rose again three days later, conquering death, hell, and the grave. And because of that, we have an opportunity to be reconciled back to him. So every week here at Cultivate Church, our purpose is to open up God's word together when we gather. In small groups around our community, we open up God's word when we gather and we say, God, order our steps, direct us through your word. We're going to teach the word at Cultivate Church. 
We're going to build relationships. It says that they did that, right? They, they committed themselves. They devoted themselves to the teaching of the Word and to fellowship. Come on, maybe you're here, maybe you're tuning in, and you're not in community. You're not in a small group. I would encourage you, you need to get into a small group. Start doing life with people. We were not designed to do life alone. I can't tell you the amount of times I've heard people tell me, I don't have to go to church and be a Christian. I don't have to be in church and follow Jesus. But can I tell you, that is not the truth of God's Word. It's not. Absolutely, you can be a follower of Jesus. And many are tuning in online today. And that's not the purpose or the, or the cause behind what he's saying. But you can't be a follower of Jesus and neglect godly community. It's just not a reality. Paul reminds it over and over again. He said it in the, uh, in the, in the New Testament not to neglect the meeting together, the fellowship of believers. Don't neglect gathering together. We need to be in community together. You need people in your life that love God and want to see his perfect plan for your life. We don't get it right all the time. We're not perfect. We're imperfect people serving a perfect God, trying to learn how to live our life on purpose in a way that honors him. You need to know that we call it relational discipleship. Get into some, a small group. Start building a relationship with people. Follow me as I follow Jesus and see what God does. That's a purpose. We're going to worship Jesus together. It says that here in Acts 2 that they, they shared meals, including the Lord's Supper. What is the Lord's Supper? It is an act of worship. It's a moment in which we focus on the resurrection of Jesus and we remember the work he did on the cross. That happens every week here at Cultivate Church. We lift up the name of Jesus together. It's our purpose. It's why we're here. And then we're going to be a house of prayer. We're going to pray. We have a purpose to reach the gospel, to bring the gospel to the nations, to Shelby County and beyond with the gospel. And when it happens through prayer, God responds when we pray. He reminds them there in 29, uh, Jeremiah 29, 11, if you go a little bit further, he reminds them. He says, then you'll pray and I will hear you from where I am. Come on, the church has a purpose. People are hurting. God has a plan. We have a purpose. In the next few moments, I want to share with you the time that we have left. I want to share with you. I want to zero in even deeper on what that purpose looks like. We're going to teach the word. We're going to build relationships. Come on, your greatest friends in life will come through the local church. We're going to worship Jesus and pray together. But there's another few things that we're going to do that, that, that we believe God has just graced us for. Number one, if you're taking notes, you need to know this. This is our culture. We are compelling. We are a compelling people. I love that word. Compel. Luke 14 and 23, Jesus talks about a parable and he says, The master told his servant, Go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. Go to where no one else is going, to the roads and the country lanes, the byways and the highways. Go to the, to the road less traveled. Go where maybe there are forgotten and less than and least of these. Go find those people. Compel them to come in. Why? So that his house can be full, so that the voice of God, the, the, the person of Jesus can be lifted high above all of our circumstances and situations. We are a whosoever 
never will church. We are a compelling church. Can I tell you, you can't be a compelling church and be a mean church. You can't be attractive to the world while you're telling the world how much you hate them. You can't draw people in while you're pushing people away. We just believe that God has called us to be an attractional church. What does it look like? Well, it doesn't mean compromise. It doesn't mean compromising our convictions. It doesn't mean compromising what God's called us to teach and God's called us to preach. And it doesn't mean compromising the word of God in our lives. Jesus came and the Bible says that uh, in a season of life when the Pharisees were the most unattractive people, the most religious people were most unattractive people. But along comes Jesus and he doubles down on the teachings of the word. He's actually stricter in his faith than the Pharisees even were, yet he was compelling. Something about him drew people in and wanted, people wanted to be near him. He was a life-giving personality. What does life-giving mean? It means it's invigorating. It's a breath of fresh air. That's my hope for all of the people that attend Cultivate Church, that when we walk out of these four walls, we are a breath of fresh air to the people around us. The Bible reminds us that we are salt of the earth. What does salt do? It adds flavor to the flavorless. Come on, if you're around Alabama much, you, everybody's going to put a little salt on their food. My son Shepard, he loves salt. We go to Mexican a lot because he loves Mexican food and boy he'll grab that salt shaker and he'll wear out just one single chip with some salt. I'm having to chill him out on that uh, on the salt a little too much in his life, right? But salt adds good flavor. Salt preserves. We are to compel them to come in. We're life-giving in our attitude to our community. We're just committed as a church to being known, more known for what we're for than what we're against. We're going to champion the cause of the gospel in people's lives. We're going to always be found championing somebody, cheering someone on, saying, you know what? You may have fallen this time, but get back up again. We're going to walk it out with you. The Bible reminds us, though a righteous man falls seven times, he gets back up again. We're going to compel people forward. We're going to encourage people along. May we never be found discouraging people trying to discover who God is in their life. May we be a compelling, life-giving atmosphere every weekend at every worship experience, throughout every small group that meets, that Cultivate Church will be known as a life-giving, compelling, attractional church. Number two, we are considerate. What does that mean? We're considerate. The Bible talks about a story in Mark chapter 2, verses uh, uh, 4 and 5 we're going to read, but it talks about it right there in the first part of Mark chapter 2. There was, a, there was a band of brothers. There were some friends, and they had a friend who was paralyzed, who couldn't get to Jesus. And the story goes that Jesus had kind of become famous in the area, and they took him to Jesus. I don't know how far they had to walk. The Bible doesn't tell us. I don't know how much they had to work. The Bible doesn't necessarily tell us what it took to get them in that moment to that house. But the Bible says that they all banded together. They carried him. They were considerate of his needs. They knew that he couldn't get to Jesus on their own. So they said, we're going to band together. We're going to do what it takes. They carried him on a mat all the way to the home. Realized that Jesus was there in the center of the home and there was no feasible way that they could get in. Now, many of us, we would stop at that moment and go, well, we tried. There's not enough tickets to get in. We tried. It's a little too full. There's a little overflow crowd out here. We're going to do the best. Maybe we'll wait for a little while, and if it doesn't get any better, we'll just know that it just, it just wasn't meant to be. 
No, no, no. These people were so determined. They were so considerate of the needs of their friend. Listen to what it says. When they couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. Now think about this just for a moment. Now this, this, is mess, this messes with a lot of our theology and uh, if we just sit and think about it. But the Bible says that Jesus saw their faith and forgave his sins. What if for a moment we were less considerate about our own needs, less considerate about our own preferences, less worried about the music that we like, less worried about the atmosphere that we prefer in our own life? What if we were so considerate of the people in our lives that need to get to Jesus and they're paralyzed in their sin and they're paralyzed in their anxiety and they're paralyzed in their broken marriages and they're paralyzed in their hurt and in their pain and in their bitterness? What if we were so considerate that we would do whatever it took to bring them to the feet of Jesus. And because their faith wasn't strong enough in the moment, he would look at us and say, because of their faith, your sins are forgiven. He forgave his sins, y'all. He didn't even go there to get his sins forgiven. He went there for healing. And the Bible goes on to tell us that because of that, even in that moment, he healed him of his disease. All because of some considerate friends who were more focused on other people around them than they were of their own preconceived wants and desires. May we be a church that is never focused on our own needs. Come on, we're never going to be a country club. We're never going to do, it's never going to be a what's in it for me environment. You won't, we won't last here with that kind of environment. We will always be outwardly focused. We are a rescue ship. We're not a country club. We don't even have members. You're not a member here. You're a partner. We partner together to reach the God, to reach the nations with the gospel, to be considerate of those people around us who need desperate to be at the feet of Jesus. Who in your life right now? Come on, they're paralyzed in their own stuff, their own mess. They don't have, they're not strong enough to get to Jesus. But you're going to do what it takes to get them to Jesus. It's hard work. It's messy work. Busting through the roof of somebody's house, I can guarantee you there wasn't somebody wasn't, wasn't too happy about that. But they got into Jesus and the end result was his eternity was changed. Come on, can that be us today? We're going to be a considerate people. And then number three, the last thing I'll share with you is we are compassionate. We're going to be a compassionate people. But the people's minds were hardened to this day. Whenever the old covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds so that they cannot understand the truth. And this veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. Yes, even today when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil and they don't understand but whenever someone turns to the Lord, listen, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We are going to be compassionate to the world around us. Here's what I know to be true. We live in a culture that is, further, that is pulling further and further and further away from the presence of God, the Spirit of God, the Word of God, the truth of God. We live in a culture that doesn't necessarily think the way that we think or believe the way that we believe. But can I tell you, church, can I, can I beg you, Cultivate Church, tune in, lean, lean into this. Let's be compassionate. Let's choose compassion over anger. Let's choose compassion 
over bitterness. The Bible reminds us here, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Come on, go read it again. He's saying they don't understand there's a veil that's covering the truth. And the moment they trust Jesus, the veil is lifted and they find freedom in Jesus. May we be so compassionate around people who think different than us and live different than us and act different than us. We're not going to hold uh, people who don't know Jesus accountable to the truth of his word. That's us who follow Jesus. But we are so convicted. We are so going to live submitted to the truth of God, the love of God, the compassion of God, the grace of God, that people are so compelled to know who Jesus is in our lives that it overflows into their lives. Bible reminds us that compassion is the way to go. How does he know? How do we know that? Paul said it. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Maybe you're here today and you've been far from God. Today you would recognize it's been it's been ages since you could consider yourself a follower of Jesus really authentically. And the Bible tells you this, reminds us that he so loved you. He so loved you that he sent Jesus to the cross. And Jesus so cared for you that even before we, there was even an, uh, an idea that you would even trust him, he died. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5 that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And today you have an opportunity to make him Lord of your life. Right where you are, I would, you would say this prayer, Father, forgive me of my sin. I'm so sorry that I've lived life in my own strength made my own decisions. I'm walking in the consequences of many of them. But today I'm just asking that you would forgive me of them. From this day forward, Jesus, I accept you as my Savior. I'm going to follow you as my Lord. May you get all the glory out of my life. Today, my life changes in the name of Jesus. And Father, I pray for all of my friends tuned in. God, I pray that you would remind us that we are the church and we exist for the world. There are lots of hurting people, but we know you have a plan and we know we have a purpose. So in our purpose, God, let us be. Father, let us be compassionate people. Let us be compelling people. And let us be considerate of those people in our lives this week who are paralyzed in their own walk, in their own faith, in their own journey, that we would be willing to do whatever it takes to bring one more person to the feet of Jesus. You'll get all the credit for it. In your name we pray. Amen.